0: Today I want to talk with you about the Bible unfolding God's purpose in our lives. That's what we all need, isn't it? That's what we all want. The Bible is not a miscellaneous collection of places and people and events. Uh, It is the story of God moving in the saving events of biblical history and inspiring the prophets and the apostles to record this revelation for all men. Many people have read the Bible all through their lives. They pick a verse out of Exodus and a verse out of the Revelation and a verse out of Second Timothy and a verse out of the Psalms. and They take verses from here and there. But really they never get the gist of the movement of God through history, through our lives, through our communities, through our world, through our destiny. They never quite get that picture. Today I'm going to be beginning a series of sermons that I hope will pull the Bible together for you. Our text today is 2 Timothy 2.15, a verse that's very well known. I'm sure that you know it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the word of truth stands for the Bible. That's the Bible. The word study is the key word in our passage today, study. You know, there are a lot of uh, things in our church library uh, that Are books that would help us to know a whole lot more about our Lord and about his church and about his plans for our lives. I hope that uh, you would kind of slip in there and and check out some of those books and read them. You know, most of us uh, in the room today are retired. We have some spare time, maybe 15 minutes a day, maybe 30 minutes a day, maybe an hour a day. You know, you could really be a spiritual whiz if you would take that time every day and take God's Word and read it and study it. I know a lot of you already do that. Uh, You tell me about that and about the uh, wonderful words of God that have come into your heart. Well, the Holy Spirit of God inspired men to write down the meanings of spiritual events long ago. It's also active now. The Spirit is working in our hearts and minds literally this morning, bringing those words into our human heart. Biblical history is our history. When God speaks to Abraham and Paul, he is also speaking to us. When Pilate is struggling with the question, what in the world am I going to do with Jesus? You remember? He said, what am I going to do with this guy? He didn't know what to do. We also are being confronted with the question, what will I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? When Abraham hears the call from God to leave his place, to leave where he is, Uh, built up a tremendous empire, really. He was asked by God to leave his land and many of his people, all that he had built up over the years, and to come and to follow him. And Abraham, of course, uh, had no idea where that was. But he gathered all the stuff up that he needed and his family, and they just started down the road together. Is that unbelievable? That's exactly what he did. What if God spoke to you this week and said, uh, Brother Joe, Sister Sally, I want you to uh, put on a coat and walk out the front door and go turn right, go down the street. You know, having no idea where you were going or for what reason. But that is exactly what Abraham did. He followed the message of God. Well, We're being faced with that same question every day. Where are you going today? Are you going to serve him? Are you going to love him? Are you going to talk to some of your neighbors about him? Where are you going today? Are you going to a place where there are some folks that don't know Jesus at all in their life? If so, then certainly you would want to... Get with them, get to know them, welcome them, invite them. You know, that's the path that the Lord wants all of us to tread. This morning, I want to begin this series of sermons that I'm going to do uh, by telling you about the misuse of the Bible. We have to kind of cover this base, and I thought I'd cover it today. Some people use the Bible to support their preconceived opinions. That's what they do. They scour the sacred pages looking for words that they can twist into meaning what they want them to mean. And that's what they do. Even the devil used the scriptures. You remember to tempt Christ? Even he misused the scripture. By taking words out of their context. You know, you can get any book or any uh, commentary. You can get anything to say anything. If you're going to pick a word out here and a word out over there and then twist it a little bit, you can certainly leave the wrong impression as to what it means. Well, the words that are, for instance, in the Old Testament were in a particular historical setting. And you have to understand those words somewhat in that setting. That's the only way to understand them correctly. We have seen folks uh, use uh, the Bible in really evil ways. To prove a point uh, that is certainly not a biblical point. They think that they have proved that slavery is divinely improved. Have you ever heard anybody, any Christian person, any uh Persons from some church say that? Have you ever heard uh, someone justify mistreating people of another race? Some have practiced polygamy and shamefully degraded the personality of women because they are able to find Old Testament patriarchs who had more than one wife. And they said, well, look, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's okay if I do it. Well, of course, these uh, biblical readers convincingly overlook the teaching of Jesus, that polygamy is contrary to the will and word of God, and that from the beginning that was not his purpose. There are other people that approach the Bible uh, like they would a report that they were going to give in the university. It's a research project to them. They dissect its literary history and trace out its relationships to other religion and other cultures. Yet by itself, such an approach will never lead to an understanding of the Bible. As John's gospel says of itself in chapter 20, verse 31, it was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. The Bible is the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses for remaking human life. The Bible is that which anyone uh, that does not open it really shouldn't uh, proclaim much about it. You know, if you're just kind of making up stuff and, and saying that's from the Bible, I had some aunts that did that all the time. And I'd always say, now, which verse was that? Where where, where was that? Where, which Which book? People do that. Anyone that does not open their heart, their mind to the Holy Spirit's guidance will never really, really understand the Word of God. He may say many things about the Bible, but he cannot accurately interpret the meaning of the words unless he has opened his heart and life to Jesus the Christ. Today there are many people that want to classify the Bible as just another one of the religious books that's out all over the world. Uh, they say, uh, you know, we, uh, we need to have some kind of a word from the Creator, So we'll just sample a little bit from over here from this religion and sample a little bit from this over here from that religion, and on and on that goes. Sometimes there are those suggestions that in this enlightened day, we're in enlightened day, you can ask Siri what she thinks. And you can say, Siri, tell me all the things about religion. Or Siri, uh, tell me uh, what the Muslims believe or the Mormons believe or the Seventh-day Adventists believe or this group believes or that group believes. Well, that draws you further away from the truth if you approach Christianity like it's a project that you're doing in college. The Gnostics did that. You remember we uh, were talking about 1 Corinthians where the Gnostics, a group of people that had studied Greek philosophy, and then they went around and they kind of sampled in a lot of different thoughts and kind of melded it all together, and they came to the church in Corinth and said, you poor people don't know anything. We know everything, and we want to tell you what's what. And that's what they started to do, and of course it caused a tremendous problem in the Corinthian church. Nothing could distort the true nature of the Bible more than trying to mesh it together with all the religions of the world. It's not like the Koran. It's not like the Book of Mormon. It's not a collection of moral teachings or ecstatic visions, nor was it dropped from heaven on mysterious Uh, Golden tablets. The Bible grew actually out of historical events. It tells us that the living God came into this sinful world in human flesh. Not into a hundred men or fifty men or ten men, but he came in one man. And his name was Jesus. He did not come into human history as Buddha or Confucius, or Muhammad. Christ is reconciling the world unto himself, not unto any other philosophy, any other uh, work of some uh, religion from way off. Christ is bringing to us the Bible, which is the story of the unique work of redemption, that the God that we worship, is so adherent to. We want to uh, see the Bible unfold to us, God's purposes, so that we can follow them. No other book records such history. No other book makes any such claim. The honest reader has to decide whether or not he's going to trust in Christ and invite Christ to come into his heart and life. Because if he doesn't do that, he'll never understand the Word of God. The only honest way to approach the Bible is to try to let it speak for itself. One can never do this completely, but the serious Bible student needs to try to do it as much as possible. If God really called a people into covenant relationship with himself, and if those people were Hebrews and they lived in a dis distant place called Palestine, then guess what we would have to do in order to know and to understand the beginnings of our faith? Well, that, of course, is exactly what has happened. We have sent over the hundreds of years thousands of people to that land to learn the ancient Hebrew language so that we can interpret all the things that were written by these men of God many, many years before. And to dig into the history of that ancient land, we must use all of the historical and linguistic data which competent scholars bring to bear on the biblical writings. We must study the remains of ancient cities uncovered by archaeologists, We've had thousands of people go over to the area around Israel and find things that substantiate everything that we have believed and been preaching for 2,000 years. I mean, that's just a fact. And nobody uh, can dispute it that uh, knows the situation. The customs and thoughts of those people are often very, very strange to us, but we need to understand them in order that we can appropriate the words that they wrote down, representing their experience with Almighty God. To fail to do this is to deny that the Bible is history, an account of something which actually happened, plus an interpretation of its meaning. We are not dealing with abstract religious ideas propounded by some Oriental uh, mystic. We are not trying to find out uh, what happened in a group of unbelievers that said they were very uh, religious people. What we are trying to do is to find out what happened at a particular time and place, the area around Palestine, around Israel, and we want to know all we can know about that. And thousands of people now through these years have given their lives in the study of that very thing. We are trying to find out exactly what these events meant to the people of that day who were caught up in them. And then we need to find out what it means to us so that we can follow in their footsteps. Now, secondly, this morning, I want to talk with you and get you to think about how our Bible began. The Bible really had its beginnings when a group of slaves from Egypt, they were slaves in the most uh, progressive uh, country of the world at that time, Egypt. Uh, They were beaten, they were killed, uh, they were diminished. In every single way. Well, they were led out of the land of Egypt and gathered around a mountain called Sinai. So important is this event in determining the nature and the purpose of the scriptures that every one of us should read, especially Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8. That is crucial to you understanding where the Bible comes from, Exodus 24, 3 through 8. Read that very carefully. Don't read it right this second, but read it, <laughs> read it carefully. It's important to remember that when the people of Israel listened to God, to God's word, and committed themselves to live in a covenant relationship with him, they had already been delivered out of Egypt. Those people already knew the power of God. God had brought all of those plagues upon them. And they knew God's power. They knew as they gathered up beside the Red Sea. And they saw the dust of the chariots in the distance of those uh, from Egypt that were riding chariots. that were going to come and kill every one of them. And they knew it. And so they started crying and sitting down and moaning and all this. And guess what happened? God opened up the sea. And these people, these Israelites, walked through on dry ground. Dry ground. And when they got to the other side, the guys on the chariots that was come kill them, thought, well, let's go after them. Ground's dry, so they go. And the water crashes in on them, kills every one of them. They, They had seen all of that. They knew all of that was true. And that's the reason why they came to Moses and said, We want to know all that we can know about God, who has all that power, who can do anything. We want to serve him and worship him. We want to give our lives and hearts to him. Well, it's important to remember that when the people of Israel listened to God's word, committed themselves to live in a covenant relationship with him, They had already been delivered out of Egypt. They were ready for the next step in their spiritual life. God did not decide to redeem them because they agreed to live in accordance with his commandments. It was his marvelous grace that reached down and touched them. The Lord had already reached down and shaken the nation of Egypt. In other words... It was upon the basis of God's redeeming love that the words of the book of the covenant were written in the people surrendered their lives into worship of the Lord. They got with it. They knew what was behind them and they wanted that same thing in front of them, the God of the whole world taking care of them, leading them, helping them, saving them as he had done with the Egyptians. Exodus 24, 6 through 8, is the climax of the institution of the covenant, the covenant of the Lord. Moses, let, if, you, if you've got a Bible, turn with me. To Exodus 24. Exodus, second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 24, 6 through 8. Now, I don't know what translation you have, so we might not be exactly together, but I want you to to read this passage with me. This is the heart and key of the book of the covenant. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to those that were hearing. And they said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which is the Lord, has made with you in accordance with these words. Now, friends, that's where it started. That's the start. You know, sometimes somebody says, where did the Bible come from? That's where it started. Right there. The meaning is clear. Leviticus 17, 14 says, the life of every creature is the blood within it. Therefore, the splashing of the blood upon the altar was to say, God is here. God is in this place. And then he splashed the blood upon the people symbolizing a life bond with God in accordance with all of the words that Moses had spoken. In the book of the covenant, from the very beginning, the sacred writings were a witness to the covenant relationship. The book was a witness to this bond of obedience. Now, there's general agreement among biblical scholars that in the primitive form of the Decalogue, do you know what the Decalogue is? It's the Ten Commandments. Decalogue is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant. You say, well, where's the Book of the Covenant? It's in Exodus 20, verse 2. Exodus 20, verse 2, to Exodus 23, verse 19. Exodus 20, verse 2 to Exodus 23, verse 19. That is the nucleus of our Bible. That's the, that's the foundational part. That's the part that it all grows from and multiplies from. Some people say, you know, the, we really don't need to study the Old Testament. There's nothing in there for us. That's just for the Jews. That's the nuttiest thing I have ever heard. This is the basis of our relationship with God from that day to this day until the day that we go home in glory. This is it right here. The Bible really began when an inspired man of God, Moses, brought the words of the Lord and read them to the ears of the people at Sinai. They dedicated themselves to serve God in accordance with the words of the book, the Decalogue, and the book of the covenant. This means that the Bible is supremely a book that is connected with worship and the service of God. It is acknowledged by faith, by faith, and it stands in judgments and guidance over the people of God. Speaking of faith, two college students were talking recently, one of them said to the other, you know, uh, it's odd, but now that I am actually engaged, I am really, really, really nervous about it. I've never been close to getting married, but it looks like it's going to happen pretty soon, and I'm nervous about it. The other fellow said, well, I, I know what you're thinking. It's only natural that you would be nervous before you get married. Marriage is a big, big commitment. Five or six years can be a long time. As we talk about faith, I'm not talking about five or six years. I'm talking about forever and ever. Well, if we commit ourselves to this book, to the Savior that it proclaims, then we'll be in the right pew. We'll be in the right place. We'll be with the right people. And we'll be doing the right things. That's the way it is. This is the unfolding of God's purpose for you. Today, if you're in the house, and you've been thinking about uh, trusting in Christ as your Lord. You've seen all these Christians that seem to have a different perspective of life. And you like their perspective. Maybe you'd like to join their church, the church of their Savior. Maybe you'd like to join and become a part of the family of God that meets in this place. This is not a five or six year thing. This is a commitment that we make of our lives to the Lord. Perhaps you're here, you've been a Christian a long time, you've been visiting with us. We'd love to have you come and join with us. Serve the Lord through the auspices of this church, we would treasure you and love you, put our arms around you, and try and be as much family as we can possibly be to you. I'd ask you to come and join with us and be a part of our family. We're going to stand and sing a hymn. I'll be down here at the front waiting on you to come.